0: Uh, let's ask God to help us now as we listen to his word and listen to what he wants to say to us through his word. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know all the people who are watching this video. You know all about us. You know why we've uh, logged on to, to this channel you know what we are looking for, you know what kind of week we have had, and you know what we need to hear this morning. So please speak to us by your Spirit. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You're not silent. We know uh, your words, we, we know uh, your mind, because you revealed it to us in the Bible, by your Holy Spirit, and by that same Spirit, please speak to us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I'm going to start with um, a little scenario for the children to think about. Uh, So kids, if you are watching, are you listening? Uh, This bit is particularly for you. So I wonder whether you have been doing a little bit more watching of screens on something like this, um, a Kindle or iPad or the TV or a computer since we've been locked down than you would have done before. Put your hand up um, if you've been doing more screen time than you would have done normally. Uh, I know our children have. Uh, Some of that is because some of your learning might be on a screen Uh, maybe uh, your school set you some tasks to do um, on a computer program or or some things online for you to learn or maybe you've been watching things on YouTube or uh, on the the BBC uh, and you've been doing your learning on a screen but also there's more time isn't there Uh, because we're at home and maybe you just have been doing more watching than you normally have done but you know what as parents, it's our job uh, to make sure that you don't do too much of watching too much of, of things like that, even though they, they can be good and be watching good things. Um, it's our job to make sure that you don't do too much of that. So just imagine that uh, you've got to a certain point in the day and your parents or your grown-ups in the house have said, right, that's enough now. Uh, we need to put the screen away but I promise that you can have some more screen time tomorrow so you're just going to have to wait but you can't wait because you just so want to watch that next program or play that next game and you can't wait so what you do is you sneakily when you think the grown-ups in the house aren't looking you go and get the screen and you sneak it away to somewhere where you think your grown-ups can't see it and you just start watching now you know what grown-ups have an annoying habit of knowing when you're doing things wrong we just, just sometimes we just have like these antennae that we know uh, if you're doing something wrong so you get found out because do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing? To take the screen when you've been told, no more watching, but you took it anyway, to have a look and to to carry on watching. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Thumbs up if you think it was a good thing, thumbs down if you think it was a bad thing. Hopefully you've all got your thumbs down that it was a bad thing. And, because it was a bad thing and hopefully you won't copy that you get told you can't have any screen time tomorrow now because you didn't trust us to give you the screen time that we think that you need and is good for you and you can't have any more screen time tomorrow you see when we fail to trust people when people want to do things that are best for us We try and do things our own way, it usually goes badly. But you know what? Even grown ups do this. You see, we don't learn as we get older. Uh, We still struggle to trust people. Uh, We still struggle to wait. We get impatient, just like you do as children. And we try and take matters into our own hands and do things our way. And what we're going to see this morning in Genesis 16 is people who stop trusting in God and in what God says he's going to do, and they get impatient, and we see what happens when their faith fails. And when faith fails, we find that people do things their way. People try and do things their own way, rather than trusting in God. Now, so far in this series, uh, we've seen things from Abram's perspective. So we're looking at the life of Abram, uh, this really important figure in the Old Testament. In fact, he's an important figure in, in all of human history. Uh, but the, the focus has been on Abram so far. But now the camera shifts from Abram to Sarai, Abram's wife. And she's the focus in verse one. And she is a key player in the promises that God has given to Abraham. If you've been with us in previous weeks, then you'll have heard some of those promises. Now let me just recap the promises that God gave to Abraham. God promised this man Abram that he was going to become a great nation. And he was going to have this land and he was going to be blessed by God. But his wife was clearly a key player in these promises because uh, without his wife Sarai, he couldn't have a child. And if he hasn't got a child, then he can't become a great nation. But the problem is that Abram and his wife Sarai don't have any children yet. In fact, they can't have children because Sarai is barren, she's infertile. Now we can only imagine how this must have made sarah i feel and not only does she have the pain and the disappointment of, of being unable to bear children that perhaps she's also thinking that, that somehow that the promises of god are going to fail because of her because of, of her inability to bear children that god's promises that he's given to her husband are going to fail maybe that's what she's thinking at this point maybe that pressure is upon her well sarai decides that she's going to do something about it herself she's not going to wait for god to act doesn't seem like god is doing very much at the moment so she's going to do something to help herself enter hagar hagar is sarai's egyptian slave And she thinks, well, the Lord has kept me from having children. If he hasn't blessed me with a child yet, then I'm going to have a child through her. I'm going to do things my way. Now, this was actually an accepted practice at the time in that part of the world uh, for a woman to give her female slave to her husband to bear children on her behalf. But all the signs in the passage that we read are that this is not a good thing. It looks as though Sarah has stopped trusting in God's ability to help her, and she's trying to help herself instead. She's taking matters into her own hands. And that comes across clearly in her words in verse two. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Sarah wants to build for herself rather than waiting for the Lord to provide for her. She thinks, well, I can do it myself. I'm not going to wait for God to act. I'm going to do it. I can do it. I can build a family. I don't need God to give me a child. I can do it myself. It's human endeavour without God's help. It's people doing things their way. Now, at this point, we might expect Abram to say to Sarah, now, now, look, dear, I know it's hard, but we've got to wait for God to come good on his promises. We've got to keep trusting in God's promises. We've got to trust God to act. But that's not what Abram says. In fact, he agrees with Sarai. Verse two says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now that's bad. Not because it's bad for a man to listen to his wife. In fact, that can often be a very good thing. And maybe sometimes we need to listen more to our wives. But in this particular case, it was a bad thing that Abram listened to Sarai because of what Sarai wanted to do. She wanted to do things her way. She wanted to take a course of action that was going against God's will And God's purposes now Abraham should have been taking the lead he should have been pointing his wife back to the promises of God and encouraging her to trust in God but Abraham fails to do this and in fact we find that he does the exact same thing that Adam does in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 we see the same words are used here in Genesis 16, verse 2. Both Adam and Abraham listened to the voice of their wives instead of the voice of God. And just to reinforce that link back to Eden and to show us that this is a bad thing, Sarai does the exact same things that Eve does in relation to her husband, Adam. At verse three in Genesis 16, it says that Sarai took Hagar and gave her to Abraham. And Eve also took the fruit, the forbidden fruit that God said not to eat, and she gave it to Adam. Now we might be thinking at this point, well, where has Abraham's faith gone? Because Back in the last chapter in Genesis 15, we see that Abraham believed in God's promises, even when it was hard for him to believe in God's promises, even when it looked like God wasn't acting on his promises. Abraham believed, and he was credited as, as being righteous in God's sight. So what's happened to Abram's faith? We'll look again at verse 3, and we're told that by this point, Abraham had been living in Canaan, in the land that God had told him to go to, for 10 years. So the gap between Genesis 15 and Genesis 16 it isn't a short way. There's a good few years that have passed. And a whole decade has passed since the promises were first given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. What's the longest you've ever had to wait for something? Maybe a few months? A few years, perhaps? Five years? Well, how about a whole decade? Having to wait 10 years for something that you really longed for, something so important that that your whole life and your future depended on it? And you will be made to wait for it. At this point, it seems like Abraham's faith has been stretched to breaking point. Can he wait any longer for God's promises to come true? Well, this was a way of helping God along. This was a way of, of helping God's promise for a son, for a child to come true but God doesn't need our help you see this delay was all part of God's plan he wanted to show Abram and Sarai that the, the promised child this child who would bring blessing to the whole world would not come through human endeavor but through the power of God you see God was waiting for a certain point to arrive, that the point of impossibility, at the point where it was impossible, humanly speaking, for Abraham and Sarah to do this themselves, to, to bring forth a, a child themselves, and he wanted to do that to show Abraham and Sarah and to us today, because uh, Chris read at the start of our service that the, what is written in the Old Testament is also for us to show us. That anything is possible for God. That when you reach the point where it's impossible for human beings. That it's still possible for God at that point. And this child would come not through human endeavour, but he would come through the power of God. But it seems like Abraham and Sarai's faith in the impossible has failed. They failed to wait. They failed to trust in God, to act. Their patience has run out. And we find that when faith fails and people do things their own way, that people end up getting hurt as a result. Sarai and Abram's decision to have a child through Hagar causes collateral damage to their relationships. It sets off a chain reaction of pain. So after falling pregnant, Hagar starts to despise her mistress in verse 4, and Sarai suffers as a result of Hagar's behaviour in verse 5, and that causes a rift between Sarai and his wife and her husband Abraham, because Sarai brings Abram for Hagar's behavior and that leads to Abram washing his hands of responsibility and he gives Sarai free reign to mistreat Hagar which then leads to Hagar fleeing from the home so you can see how an initial failure to trust in God and in his promises leads to damage further down the line it leads to damaged relationships and that's what happens ultimately when when we try to do things our way, when we try to act um, in our own strength and take matters into our own hands, we end up getting hurt and often we hurt other people. Now this might be a good point, just to step back from the story a moment and just to acknowledge that Uh, From our modern-day perspective, there's a whole load of ethical questions here that we might be asking. So there's the fact that Sarai has a slave in the first place. We know from our modern-day perspective that slavery is wrong. In fact, Christians have campaigned against slavery in the past. And then there's the question of, of... of Hagar being treated so badly by Sarai. Sarai is obviously abusing her power and her authority here. And there's the fact that Abram takes another wife. That's polygamy. It's illegal in our modern society. And Hagar is being used as a surrogate mother, seemingly without her say-so. She has no choice in the matter because she has no rights. She's a slave. What this passage does, it, it just leaves all of those ethical questions that might concern us today unanswered. And all we get is the loose ends that aren't tied up. All we get is the messiness of this situation and these damaged relationships just left on the show. And you know what, that, that's one of the things that I love about the Bible. You'd have thought that Moses, who, who is the writer of Genesis, uh, looking back to the history of Abraham, uh, the, the founding father of the nation of Israel that Moses is leading at this point as he's writing it, that he would want to present Abraham, the father of the nation, in the best possible light that uh, all the skeletons in the cupboard would be hidden away and we get a, a, a shining example of, of virtue um, in this family. And certainly, modern day politicians and public figures, uh, they don't want any dirt from their past to be dug up, do they? They just want to be shown as um, somebody who is reliable, somebody who can be trusted and, and, and no messiness of the past being exposed. And yet here we have the unvarnished truth of Abraham and Sarai's messy family just laid bare for us to see. This family uh, is just as dis- dysfunctional as your family and my family. In fact, probably more dysfunctional uh, with more problems going on. And that's because the hero of this story is not Abraham. It's not Sarai is God. So when you hear of people who are associated with God, doing things that are unjust, underhand, and just downright wrong, don't judge God on the basis of those actions. Because what we see here is such a stark contrast between Abraham and Sarai's actions, which are bad and God's actions which are good because when faith fails people do things their own way they get hurt as a result but God remains faithful people might fail people get things wrong but God never fails God never gets things wrong Here's a truth about God that we find later on in the Bible in the New Testament. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You see, God's character never changes. He can't change the way that he acts. He always acts in the same way, in a way that is consistent with his character is good, gracious, compassionate, and just character. And what we want you to see in the rest of this passage is God's amazing grace towards Hagar as she encounters him on the road back to Egypt, as she flees uh, from Abraham and Sarai, and she tries to get back to Egypt. The gracious and compassionate God encounters her. But firstly, I just want to ask the question, who is it that Hagar actually meets on the road to Egypt? Verse 7 tells us that it's the angel of the Lord. But later on in verse 13, it says it was the Lord who spoke to her. The Lord himself is speaking to And this angel not only commands Pagar to do something, he also makes promises, as we're going to see in a moment. So the angel of the Lord acts as God, speaks as God, makes promises as God. And this has led many uh, through the years to the belief that actually the angel of the Lord here is the second person of the Trinity is the pre-incarnate Christ. So I want to make this suggestion to you. It's only a suggestion uh, because we, we can't say for definite from the text, but I want to suggest to you that this angel of the Lord is an appearance of Jesus before he was called Jesus, before he became the man Christ Jesus, before he took on a human nature the Son of God, before he took on human flesh. It might be quite hard for us to get our heads around this concept, but we must remember that the Son of God lived eternally with God the Father before he became incarnate, before he took on a human flesh, a human body, and dwelt amongst us in this world. We also need to remember that that God the Father has always delighted in revealing himself through his son. His son is the one that, that he sent into the world to show us his glory, to reveal who he is. And that word angel, it simply means a sent one. It means a messenger. Somebody who who has come on behalf of God doesn't have to be a created heavenly being that we might think of when we think of the word angel, although often that is what's been referred to when the Bible talks about an angel. But it seems that this angel, this angel of the Lord, is different because he speaks and acts with the power and the authority of the Lord himself. So, what does the Lord? he reveals himself to hagar how does he show his amazing grace towards her to this servant girl who was both done wrong she's running away from her mistress sarai but she's also been wronged as well she's suffered abuse well firstly the lord seeks her the fact that the Lord finds Hagar suggests that he was seeking her. That's what God does. He seeks. We might imagine that Abraham and Sarah breathed a sigh of relief when Hagar left their home. Perhaps they thought, "Well, oh, phew, uh, we're glad that that's over and done with. That, that was a, a mistake. Uh, we, we can see that now. Uh, we can see all of the damage that that decision caused, and now the problem has gone away. Hagar has left, and all the strife, all the turmoil has disappeared. But God doesn't forget about Hagar. God is still interested in Hagar. He still has plans for Hagar. He seeks after her. And he finds her. In the grand scheme of things, Hagar was pretty insignificant. She's a slave, a female slave. She's the lowest of the low in that society. And she's lost. She's in the wilderness. She's in no man's land. And she is without a home and a people. She's left one people and she's yet to find another people but the Lord seeks her and the Lord's question in verse 8 highlights her lostness her her need to be found the Lord says where have you come from and where are you going now if you go into the centre of Lincoln and you go to uh, the Brayford waterfront you know, where where the Odeon is and and the various restaurants and shops around the water, Uh, there is a bridge near the waterfront. And on that bridge, uh, these two questions are written uh, in slightly different ways. On one side of the bridge, it says, where have you been? On the other side of the bridge, it says, where are you going? And those questions are being posed to people travelling on their boats in and out of the Brayford. But you only ever see one of those questions at once. You see one question as you go in and you see the other question as you go out. And the fact that the Lord is asking both of those questions in the same sentence to Hagar, Shows that that she's nowhere, she hasn't reached her destination, she's in limbo, she is between one place and another, she is lost, she's in the wilderness, she doesn't belong anywhere. But it's in this place that the Lord finds her because He seeks those who are lost in the wilderness, those who have no place to call home. Those who are stuck in limbo. And I guess we all feel a bit like that at the moment, don't we? We all feel a bit lost. We all feel like we're in limbo. But this is why the Son of God came into this world as a man. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He is. The good shepherd who seeks after lost sheep. Sheep who are, have lost their way. that They're neither in one location or the other. They're in Limbo. And this shepherd finds the sheep and he brings them home. And that's what the Lord wants to do for Hagar. Now that he has found her, he wants to bring her home. He wants to take her back. To Abraham and to Sarai. And that's what the Lord says when he speaks to her. So the Lord seeks and he also speaks. He calls her by name. He addresses her personally. She is not just a slave to God. She's a real person with a real identity, and he is interested in her. And he wants her to return home, to submit to her mistress Sarai, even though. She's been treated so badly by Sarah and we might find that a strange command from God. We might think well that's not a very kind thing for God to say to, H- to Hagar to go back to a place where you've suffered abuse. but we need to understand why the Lord is telling Hagar to do this. We need to remember that Abraham's family is the one family. On earth, that God has promised to bless. This family is at the epicenter of God's purposes and God's plans for the whole world. And to be outside of this family means you are outside of God's blessing and God's purposes. So it's actually a gracious thing. For God to say to Hagar to return to Sarai and to Abraham, he's telling her not to return to a place of of mistreatment. He's telling her to return to a place of blessing. That's what's unique about this situation. And just to give Hagar the confidence to go back, and to assure her that, that she, even as a slave woman, has a part in this blessing that's been promised to Abraham, God adds a promise to the command. Just as he did for Abraham back in chapter 12. He gives her a promise. I will increase your descendants so much that there'll be too numerous to count. If you were with us last week, then you'll recognize that that same promise was given to Abraham. So we could be asking and thinking now could Hagar's son be the child of promise could it be through Hagar's son that God would bless the whole world and look at what the Lord says in verse 11 you are pregnant and you'll give birth to a son you shall name him Ishmael now if you're Familiar with the Christmas story and particularly the account in Luke's gospel of when the angel Gabriel comes and meets Mary, then you might recognize those words. It's very similar to the way that God speaks to Mary. You will conceive, you'll give birth to a son, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus was going to be the ultimate child of promise. So, could this child, could Hagar's child, be the child of promise? that God said he would give to Abraham." Well, no. Ishmael is not the child of promise. He is not the son that God is going to use to build a great nation for Abraham. There's another son yet to be born. We're going to meet him in the coming weeks. But this just shows us how rich God's grace is that this is not the promised child, and yet God is promising great blessing on this child and his future family. His grace and favor abound even to those who are outside of the line of promise, and we, we see that still today through God's common grace to all people. So the Lord sees. Uh, he the Lord, sorry, the Lord seeks, he speaks, and he also hears. The Lord hears in verse 11. Uh, that's the, the meaning of the name Ishmael, the name that Hagar is to give to her son. It means God hears. The Lord has heard Hagar's misery, and he's going to do something about it. He's coming to rescue her, he's coming to bring her home. And God's words to Hagar here are very similar to the words that God speaks to Moses in Exodus 3. In Exodus 3, the Lord says, I have seen the misery of my people, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave masters. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to bring them up into a, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the promised land now on that occasion when god spoke to moses and you might remember that a god appeared the angel of the lord in fact appeared in the middle of a burning bush and he did that to symbolize that he was with his people in their suffering and now here is the lord the angel of the lord in, in genesis 16 He's turning up in the wilderness. He's turning up right in the middle of Hagar's suffering. Because he's heard her misery. He's heard her cry. That's what God does. He hears. And he also sees. The Lord sees. Hagar is astonished. The Lord himself, the Lord who had appeared to her master, Abraham, was now appearing to her, to an insignificant slave woman. But this is a God who sees all people. And he especially sees those who are afflicted. Those who others may overlook. Those who are marginalized. Those who are downtrodden. Those who are suffering. Misery. He is the living one who sees me. And he sees you today. He sees you right now. As you're watching this video, he sees you. He sees what you're going through right now. He sees the pain. you might be experiencing. He sees your loneliness, he sees that the pressures that are mounting up on top of you, he sees all the ways that you're hurting. And he hears you, he hears you crying out in your pain, in your frustration, He hears all the complaints of your heart. He, he hears the things that nobody else hears. The silent cries in the middle of the night. And you think, well, When is this all going to end? He hears you. And he wants to speak into your situation right now. He wants you to hear his promises. He, he wants to turn up. In the middle of your suffering just as he did for hagar and as he did for god's people in the past he wants to turn up and speak to you and he wants to tell you about his promises his promise to provide eternal blessing eternal hope and salvation Through his promised son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, he is seeking you. Now, perhaps you came across this video on YouTube because you're seeking something today. Perhaps you're seeking some kind of hope or comfort. Perhaps you're seeking God. But you know, the truth is that God is seeking you. He is the God who seeks after people. And he specializes in seeking after people who have lost their way. He specializes in seeking after those who are harassed and helpless, in seeking out those who cannot help themselves. They've got to the end of their tether. And they see no way out. People who are crying out in their misery. He seeks those kind of people. Jesus is seeking people who are wandering in the wilderness. He is seeking you. And He wants you to know this morning that however badly you've messed up, however big your failures, That his grace is bigger. That his grace is bigger than even your biggest sin. His grace is sufficient to forgive those sins. To cleanse you from those sins and from the guilty conscience that you might have because of those sins. His grace is big enough to reach out to rescue you, and to bring you home. And you know what else this God does? The God who seeks and speaks and hears and sees, he also provides. We see that right at the end of Genesis 16. The Lord who provided a son for a man who is 86 years old can also provide for you. Whatever you're going through today, God can provide for you. You can trust him. You can trust him to remain faithful even when you fail. So don't put your, your hope in your own efforts. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Don't try and get out of whatever misery or desperation you might be going through yourself at the moment. God has provided for you. God has provided his son for you. He's provided his son to take upon himself all of your sins and all of your failures, all the ways that you have messed up by taking things into your own hands, all the way that you have hurt other people and have hurt yourself. Jesus has taken all of that on himself on the cross. He's borne the blame. And taking the punishment on himself, so we can be free of that burden that our failures cause us and and the misery that they bring us. So don't run ahead of God. Don't try and take matters into your own hands like Abraham and Sarah did, because ultimately you will end up getting hurt, and you'll probably end up hurting others as well. Put your hope. In the faithful God, in the God who is seeking you, in the God who sees, the God who speaks, the God who heals, and the God who can provide for you. Let's just take a moment to be quiet. Maybe think about how. God's word is speaking to you right now, this morning. And then we'll pray together in response. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word that is living and active. And your word that never returns to you empty. It always does what you've intended it to do. And we thank you that when our faith, in your words and in your promises, fails, that you hold us fast. When we lose our grip on your promises, when we get impatient and we try to take things into our own hands, that you never let go of us. So we trust in you, our faithful, unchanging God. In Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a song that